All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm excited about today's episode because it's all about deadlifting, troubleshooting the deadlift, low back pain during the deadlift, and what to do about it. So yesterday I was actually going through all of my previous episodes and started digging some stuff up through the vault and found a lot of good resources. And one of them being actually a seminar on the deadlift and low back pains specifically. And it's a good hour long where not only do I talk about the topic of, you know, deadlifting and, you know, low back pain and things like that, but I also had a bunch of people come in um, to troubleshoot their deadlift. And literally, if I can remember correctly, I've had two people there, one who actually really royally effed their low back deadlifting and another person same scenario but it literally happened like a month or three weeks prior to the seminar i put on and i was like all right so let's see um you know what what we're working with and the cool thing is i'm actually mic'd up for it so the camera's kind of in the back so even though you can't see all the little things that i'm doing um you can still hear um what i'm saying and like it's a very interactive um, seminar and I was really excited that I still had that in my vault as I call it. And this whole episode is gonna be close to or even over two hours long um, where I also picked out all my other episodes that I've done on deadlifting and I also threw in um, two tutorials at the end of this episode. Um, one being um, a barbell sumo uh, deadlift tutorial that I released about a year ago and also an elevated um, barbell deadlift with all the cues that I use. So this is going to be like literally the ultimate guide to deadlifting for anyone. And, you know, all the other episodes that are included with this is also going from like, how do I actually start someone deadlifting if they've never had any experience, you know, learning from learning the hinge to loading it with a kettlebell to different progressions, regressions, whatever it is. So honestly, I think this is going to be one of the best episodes I've ever put together. And I'm really, really, really excited. And something that I've kind of um, realized over the years when it comes to pain during deadlifting or things not feeling right when deadlifting, it usually comes down to two things. One, Actually, maybe three things. One is you don't have the prerequisites in order to deadlift, and we need to work on those. Two would be um, anatomically, there's something going on that you're not built for deadlifting off the floor, and we need to change that. And the third thing is you are not deadlifting with good form, aka you have not been coached properly. Usually, I would say 99% of the time when I work with somebody and they've been training for a year, two years, whatever it is, but deadlifts have always been that one thing that's not been working out for them. It always comes down to coaching. And it usually what I'll quickly do is like, okay, like show me what you usually do for your deadlift. And I would say 100% of the time, everything is off. People tend to forget that deadlifting is a skill. 
it's not as simple as a bicep curl where you take the dumbbell and you go down into extension and you go back to flexion. Like it's very difficult to screw that up. Both something as intricate as a deadlift, there is a lot of stuff that needs to happen in order for that to work. So a lot of times when I take someone through a deadlifting coaching session, there is a long list of stuff. And I'll talk about my deadlift checklist in this episode. So for those who are listening, I highly recommend that you watch this episode because we go through a lot. There's going to be a lot to unpack in this episode, and I'm so excited to release it. Um, so I'm going to stop blabbing because I can probably go for another hour talking about just deadlifting and how we need to fix whatever you're doing but um without further ado here is the ultimate deadlift guide what's up my podcast listeners this is your host Rafael Matuszewski and I'm super excited about today's episode because we're going to go over an entire tutorial of the deadlift and my whole kind of progression on how to get there and I do have Misty in the room so hopefully she doesn't uh mess things up and my camera's a little crooked i'm not too happy about that so hopefully it stays but what we're gonna go over is how i coach the deadlift right misty yeah so she's excited um how it kind of takes someone from day one to deadlifting with a barbell what cues i give and kind of go from there. So the first thing I do, um, and this is what typically happens in the clinic setting, I tend to get a lot of people coming in with low back pain while they're deadlifting. So the first thing that I do is an assessment of one, number one, their breathing. So if I were to lay down, hopefully the camera can see me, I'm gonna probably start. Uh, Misty is super excited about this episode. Right, Mist? So if I were to get, she thinks we're going outside, that's why. This might be a problem today. Oh yeah, Misty. <laughs> so anytime I'm on the ground, she thinks we're gonna like wrestle and play. Okay, okay, okay. I might have to uh, adjust. <laughs> All right. So before that all happened, um, usually the first thing that I'll do is look after breathing patterns. So if I was laying down, a simple thing that I'll test is one hand on the belly, one hand on the chest. If somebody can get this, where my bottom hand here holding onto my belly can expand and retract, expand and retract without that top hand moving too much then I know that that individual can brace your core effectively and create that intra-abdominal pressure. And if you want to learn more about that intra-abdominal pressure, I did another uh, podcast a video uh, like this one, um, maybe three months ago, 
and it's about 30 minutes long of why that's important. So that's my first assessment. The second assessment is um, to figure out their deadlift uh, depth because a lot of people end up deadlifting way too low than they actually can, right? So there's so many other ways to like assess if someone is ready for deadlifting, but one uh, way that I like, and I stole this from Dr. John Russin, is feeling, and you need somebody with you to do this, feeling the moment that your lumbar spine goes into flexion. So an easy one is if I had the dowel, I would set up just like my deadlift position, and my dowel is my barbell, I would start sliding down into my deadlift position, and then back up, while having someone, aka me, doing the assessment where I would place my forefingers onto my lumbar spine, and the moment that I am sliding down, and I feel just a little bit of my forefingers spreading apart, that's why I tell them to stop. The reason behind that is that it, to the naked eye, this could look you know, neutral, the spine's good, I have no idea why I get back pain every time I deadlift if I know my spine is flat, but you could have a micro uh, movement of your um, vertebrae going into flexion, and that's how you'll feel with your fingertips if they start moving apart. So then maybe what will happen is, you know, you get that person or yourself going down, they feel it about here, where you usually deadlift down here, right? So that being said, if we know the person can't um, brace their core by creating intra-abdominal pressure, then um, there's no safety belt. And that's what I kind of keep referring to the diaphragmic breath is kind of like the safety net around their lumbar spine when it comes to deadlifting. <coughs> Kicking stuff. Um, so that's kind of number one. Number two is that pattern to see if they can actually get there to the depth that they think that they're able to do. Most of the time, it's never where they're at. So if you think about it, um, if someone is deadlifting with a standard Olympic barbell um, weight plates, right now you know, say when you go down to this depth and you know the distance of one of the plates, how far it is in relation to the floor, that's how much you need to elevate it. So it almost becomes like a rat pull. And a lot of times, that's where people should start is like an elevated deadlift. A lot of times people are like, oh, deadlift, so I'm gonna go off the floor, I'm gonna do what that guy's doing, and that's it, right? So, oh, my camera is like slowly lowering itself. I'm having a terrible time with my equipment today. Um, so that being said, sometimes when I see that, that lumbar uh, flexion, now I know that every time they place load into the deadlift position, they're getting a lot of load through flexion and that usually irritates the discs, especially if it's loaded. Like there's nothing wrong with, you know, doing this and then back up. There's not, there's not a lot of load to it, but for the most part, if you're a person with low back pain, history, whatever it is, then yeah, maybe you should not go into a forward fold or to pick something off the ground, you're rounding your back, let alone taking a barbell or whatever you have for your deadlift and then going into that hinge and 
the whole thing collapses. So kind of my thought process is like, okay, if I have somebody coming in with a little back pain, they already de they're already deadlifting, I'm gonna check their breathing patterns, I'm gonna check that assessment of the dowel to see actually how far they can go. Usually those two things really suck. So in my head, I'm like, okay, this person needs to learn how to do some kind of core stability, um, basic, you know, core progressions, because a lot of times people skip. Like I tell people, you need your bird dogs and dead bugs, and they're like, oh, that's so boring, it's so stupid. But those are the things you need, and most likely when you do those dead bugs and bird dogs, you're just going through the motion, and you're not actually, um, you know, creating the tension that you need to contract, to relax, to translate to bigger lifts like the deadlift. Now, how I get people deadlifting, pain-free and like never had an issue with low back pain in my life when it comes to my clients, is I start them with learning how to breathe, aka what we just tested, and two, how to move their hips in the hinge pattern. And there's a couple ways that I do this. So one, I try to reinforce um, the movement of the deadlift and all these other different exercises when I program. So a good example is just a glute bridge. When you think about it, a glute bridge is a deadlift. You're going through hip extension and hip flexion back and forth. So I reinforce the hinge pattern over and over and over and over again in my client's program. So when it comes to the time to load that pattern, they're, they're ready to go. The other way that I I'll get to that in a second, but the hinge. So a lot of times, back to the dowel, I will either get people just going through the hinge to the knees and back up, knees and back up, just body weight, learning how to do this. Sometimes this is where um, program comes into play. That might not work for somebody. For some reason, they can't grasp the concept of, I'm gonna use the dowel and slide it down my legs and back up. And I forgot to mention all my people listening Again, the video will be uh, available in the show notes if you want to watch this instead of listening it, listening to it, be my guest. If not, I'm going to be as descriptive as possible. So that being said, things usually don't work out the way you planned as a coach and you have to have a lot of things in your arsenal to throw in and kind of be ready for whatever. So that's my first kind of point is learning how to slide the dowel down the legs to the knees and back up into the deadlift position. Sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes I'll take the dowel and place it on my bum with my hands in kind of like a open palm position and I'll squeeze and push into my glutes to get some little lat activation and then go into the hinge. And sometimes that tends to work a little bit better. Sometimes it's the reverse. Um, sometimes I do the standard, let's put the dowel against my tailbone, my shoulder blades and head, bottom hand where my low back is, top hand where my neck is, and now I'm gonna go into the hinge. All three great options. Sometimes that doesn't work, so I'm gonna go back to the dowel, um, deadlift where I'm sliding it down, but I'm gonna wrap a band in the middle, attach it to a cable, um, a cable machine or some sort of pillar squat rack, and I'm pulling the band towards me so now i got tension and i got to keep this position to slide down and then people kind of get that concept of tension now sometimes that doesn't work so an easy one is like i do this with a lot of people is like with the wall behind me i go i want you to push your hips back until you touch the wall and they end up doing this and they're like oh 
that's what I need to do. Because a lot of times people don't understand the concept of like hinging. They kind of just go into like this weird butt out knee thing until they kind of like slide down the wall in a squat slash hinge and it's super awkward. But uh, most of the time this tends to work. Worst case scenario, I go, all right, imagine yourself running. You're tired and you need to take a break. This position here. So for the people listening, I'm literally just holding my hands on top of my knees in kind of like a resting position if I was running. So this is literally the hinge. So sometimes I get people just sliding into that position and then back up and they learn that hinge pattern. Now the other way that I sneak in that hinge pattern without them knowing is a single leg deadlift um, option. So I literally go into a single leg position. I do the deadlift. I usually do a reach forward to counterbalance. And now I'm learning how to hinge one leg, working stability, foot stability. And the other thing that people don't think about when they deadlift, and there's a reason why I'm barefoot. That's the other thing that we're gonna get into is the reason why I'm barefoot is I'm teaching the person how to have a tripod position in their foot. Because a lot of times people make the mistake of like deadlifting and they end up like doing that hinge but so far that they're leaning onto their heels and their toes go up and they're trying to come back that's not the best way to you know activate your glutes and all those lateral hip stabilizers to drive you back up you're going to get primarily all hamstrings and lower back stuff um so when i go and train people highly recommend you go barefoot at least socks wherever you're at so you can feel your heel your big toe and the rest of your toes creating that tripod position. So then when you go into that single leg deadlift, one on one leg, you're required a lot more stability. So those little intrinsic muscles in the feet have to work that much, that much harder. It's a lot more difficult to teach that concept of rooting yourself into the ground when you have two feet on the ground. Whereas if you have one, you're like, you feel that right away. So a lot of it comes down to like just smart programming, smart, thought processes when it comes to deadlifting and I've had pe like patients in the clinic where they're crossfitters they that's all they do is deadlift squat bench kipping pull-ups and shit like that and I take them down to a single leg deadlift and they're all over the place and I'm like you can deadlift like 300 pounds for reps on two legs but you can barely do a single leg deadlift on just your, with your body weight imagine if we were able to get your single leg deadlift to a barbell with like 135, how much your two legged deadlift would go up? And they're just like, mind blown, right? So sometimes it's just you're missing these steps. So now that we've assessed, my first phase is teaching the person how to breathe, teaching them how to hinge properly, sneaking in other hinge like exercises to reinforce it, and then also throwing a lot of stability work that's gonna be needed for the deadlift itself. Now, um, my next phase after all those things is just a progression. So this is where I end up loading um, a deadlift. And usually when I get someone brand new, it's four weeks of just learning those basics. And then that fifth week to week eight is when we're actually loading the pattern. Sometimes people just don't get it right away and we're gonna do another four weeks of the hinge. but. Um, most of the time I will use a dumbbell in a sumo position. So one, 
I've recently switched over to a dumbbell uh, deadlift only because I used to use a kettlebell, but I would always have to elevate it, right? And going back to our assessment, most likely the person does not have the depth to go down to the ground. So when you put a dumbbell upright, it's usually pretty high up elevated, but in this case with the 20, it's a little bit too high. So let's, for the sake of the argument, we're gonna elevate it, and I'm gonna use a different colored kettlebell because everything's black here. I'm even wearing all black. Boom, so that's gonna be a lot higher. And of course, Misty's gonna wanna smell this to make sure it's safe for me. Right, Mist? It's safe? Good girl. So I like to teach the sumo deadlift right off the bat. Yes, we just did a lot of hinge work in a more of a conventional stance, but I find it's a little bit easier for people to grasp that hinge in a sumo position. Because a lot of times when we now go into a conventional, they don't have enough hip mobility and they can't get their hips into flexion enough. It becomes awkward and weird in here. So, I've now switched all my clients to go into, Misty, come on now, um, into a sumo uh, stance, and now it teaches them to get a little bit more lateral stabilizers going. Misty, stop scratching the floor, come on. <laughs> and from here, like how we taught our, um, our first four weeks, we're gonna push our hips back and we're gonna reach down for that dumbbell. And I always cue that we're gonna squeeze that dumbbell together, or depending if you don't have the hexagon ones, you just have like circled ones, you can squeeze it together this way or this way to get lat engagement. And from there, we're driving up and back down. Couple things here. To kind of reinforce everything that we learned. Say I decided that the hinge with the dowel and the band work the best for you know this client. I have now taught them how to do lat engagement. So now when we're in this next phase where we're going to get this person to now deadlift, I tell them, just like the band, get those lats together. I always use the cue hide your armpits because a lot of times when people go into a deadlift, this is super loose. But if you tell them to hide their armpits, they get that like armpit squeeze and lat engagement and they're squeezing the crap out of um, the dumbbell. Now, the other thing I snuck in was that tripod foot position when we were doing the single leg deadlift. Now I tell them and reinforce, remember your heel, your big toe and the rest of your toes, your tripod rooted into the ground. The other thing too is when I coach the single leg deadlift, I always tell people like, think of pushing your knee out. Because a lot of times when people do the single leg dead, deadlift, the knee kind of fumbles everywhere and it's kind of awkward and weird. So I always force people to think like, exaggerate how far your knees go. And now we're just teaching the person how to externally rotate their hip a little bit more to get those um, external rotators fired up. Which now can work beautifully in this deadlift. So now I tell people, think of pushing those knees out. And on the way up, push your feet out this way. The moment you push out to the side, you get, again, those lateral stabilizers. And then from the very beginning, we've been teaching for four weeks how to breathe. So at that bottom 
hinge position right before you go, deep breath in, you hold, exhale, and you squeeze, and then you come back down. There are a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving parts for this deadlift, but when I start reinforcing all these things, and a lot of times that might not work out and you have to like pivot. And sometimes pivoting means let's not use a dumbbell and let's use a kettlebell. So if I were to grab this 20 kilo kettlebell in an elevated position, now the handle is available and now I can reach down squeeze the handle and again hide the armpits, drive up and I'm good, right? Sometimes just a different, um, I wouldn't say environment, a different object that has a different feel to the hands could be that trigger that will change everything. And sometimes I find that small changes like that go a long way. A lot of times when people start deadlifting in the beginning, it's more so learning the movement, right? And that's why I place a huge emphasis on um, the hip hinge over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So I don't really go that heavy when it comes to like the second phase of my client's programs when they first start. A lot of times it's like, I will literally give them like a 10 kilo kettlebell. I'm not giving them something super heavy. But sometimes that's the approach you want to go with because say I give them, yeah, a 20 pound dumbbell, 10 kilo kettlebell, whatever it is, they know it's not that heavy. So sometimes it's like, oh, I'm just going to like go through it and they do some weird shit. But say brand new client, this is their fifth week, first time with weight, like this is 20 kilos. So this is about 44 pounds. You're going to go deadlift it. And they're like, oh shit, like this is gonna be heavy, so I gotta like really brace it, like. And then it ends up looking beautiful because they know it's heavy, right? It's the same concept of like, I'm like, hey, you wanna know, help me move and pick up this couch? And they're like, oh fuck, I need to like get myself ready to pick up this couch. If I go, oh, can just hand me that box? It's just like crap from my drawer. They're just gonna pick it up, like round it back. They don't really care, right? So. That's one of the other things that I coach to my clients is that no matter what the weight is that you have in front of you when you're deadlifting, think of it as your one rep max. It's gonna be as heavy as shit. So when I kind of get that habit of you know, thinking that, hey, this deadlift is super heavy, no matter what weight I you know, placed in front of them or placed on the barbell, they're gonna protect that lower back. Now, on the other concept of reinforcing like the hinge, um, the thing that we can progress is now that single leg deadlift, right? So before I said we just did the single leg deadlift, body weight, now let's add a kettlebell dumbbell on a contralateral load. And I'm gonna bring that up too. I've got that question a lot, it's like, and I've been posting about this, um, What's the point between, you know, ipsilateral and contralateral loads? And I personally have, have had no success with ipsilateral loading for the general population. Because what happens, so for the people who don't know, if I'm doing a single leg deadlift, my left leg is the one that's going to be on the ground, my right hand is going to be holding the dumbbell and kettlebell going through the deadlift, my single leg deadlift. So that is a contralateral load. 
ipsilateral will be that same hand, same leg, going into the deadlift. What I see though, all the time, when people grab in front of the ipsilateral load, this hip ends up opening up and kind of falling all over the place, and I'm already falling, trying to show the case that. So I just don't find any like, purpose for adding that in because I just haven't had success with it and a lot of times it comes down to hip mobility and hip stability that most general population people don't have. If I had a, but I've had success in the past where I've had people training with me like four or five days a week and we get to that point where they can do that but most of the time it just doesn't work out the way I want it to, right? So a contralateral load tends to work a little bit better. Um, so that's where I kind of go with choosing between those two. Um, so, and now with like the glute bridge, um, we can go to hip thrusts, we can go to feet elevated glute bridge, we can go to a single leg version just to reinforce that hinge pattern over and over and over again so it's down packed. Um, the next phase, if everything went right, and again, like this can get better, um, where people can either go heavier or they can go um, a little bit lower too. So you can, this is the other thing too, is if you can retest, Misty, hey, enough with the scratching, come on, I'm making a video right now. Sorry guys. Um, so sometimes you can retest, you can go back to the dial and be like, hey, let's see if you've improved. And that's another way to see as a coach if you, um, are doing what's needed in order for your client to succeed. A lot of times, coaches just go in, you know, blinded, and they're hoping that everything's going to work out. But this is where test, retest, test, retest works really well. Um, so say everything went well. We're now month three. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into a trap bar deadlift. Unfortunately, I don't have a trap bar deadlift with me. It would have been, it would be sweet to have one, but pretty sure my neighbors downstairs are not gonna like that while I'm smashing it down. Um, with the trap bar, I find it so easy for someone to understand how to lift it properly. A lot of times, um, when I get to that point, I don't even coach it. I just tell people, you're gonna step inside the trap bar. You're gonna reach down and grab the handles all rules still apply. And this is another thing to note. I went from sumo, now I'm going back to conventional. Is that super important? Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. I, this is what I do, this works great. I've never had anyone have an issue going into that uh, position from, we started at conventional stance for learning the hinge, going to a sumo stance in the next phase, and now going back to the conventional. I've never had an issue with it, so I'm gonna keep going. You know, don't fix what's not broken. Um, so you step in, reach down, squeeze the handles, all the same rules apply. Tripod position with the feet, push the feet out and the knees out as you come up. Deep breath in, hold for the intra-abdominal pressure. You're squeezing, hiding your armpits, and then you're driving up, boom. Works every time. I don't even have to coach, I just tell them, remember everything I told you about deadlifting, apply to this thing lift up and lift down. And I just, I think because it allows, you know, a little bit more knee flexion, people are, feel comfortable in that position to drive up every single rep, compared to like, let's grab a barbell and now I'll let you figure that out. 
With the trap bar, it gives people a lot of confidence too. And no matter what client I've had, if it's you know former athlete to mom of three never worked out in their life, and now I'm gonna get you trap bar deadlifting, everyone does a really, really good job. There's been times where it just doesn't work out and I just have to, I'm like, okay, let's go back to the dumbbell. Let's try the barbell. Like sometimes shit doesn't work out. But that's that third kind of progression that I'll get people into is that trap bar deadlift. Now, fourth, we, uh, fourth phase, so month four now, I'm getting clients to barbell deadlift, whether it's, um, Conventional stance or sumo, that's it's up to them because anatomy plays a huge role. If I have someone super tall, I'm gonna get them in the sumo position. If I have someone really, really short, probably conventional. If I have someone really, really short and they have terrible hips, sumo, they look like a powerlifter, they look badass, they can lift a lot, right? Um, when I get to that point where we're barbell deadlifting, I'm going to retest if they can get a little bit further down. If that's the case, we're gonna be off the ground. A lot of times, if my programming hits all those weak links that I found in their assessment, I just showcased one bit of my assessment, which is the dowel, but there's so many other things that I'm gonna be testing to work on their program. So as their deadlift is progressing, when it comes to movement competency and all the requirements to get there, there are other stuff in their program that's addressing all their other weaknesses are going up too. So sometimes it's like, I won't even do that dowel um, deadlift system because I know what I program has been working over the years. So let's just go from with, you know, my best judgment, we're deadlifting off the floor now. We don't have to, you know, worry about elevating it. So if that's the case, now I'm gonna add a little bit more to the kind of deadlift checklist. And the last thing I get people to do, because the neck, I, I still give that cue, but a lot of times people's necks, when they deadlift in that hinge, they like to look at themselves in the mirror and then go up and they just end up doing this like weird thing with their neck constantly. They're always looking at themselves. I'm not a fan of keeping that neck in that position because a lot of times, a lot of times, when people do that, the neck tends to, actually the other way around, when the neck goes into these positions, the lumbar spine likes to copy it. So an example is that if I'm sitting here, my lumbar spine is gonna do the same thing. If I'm looking up, a lot of times my lumbar spine is gonna do the same thing. So now I'm just going into more extension of my lumbar spine when I deadlift, and I don't want that. So I teach the packed neck. I always tell people, like, think of you driving in your car, but you're pushing your head into the car seat, right? Like the little headrest, and that's a good packed neck. Holding that position, now your spine is one unit, one length, and it's gonna be stable, it's gonna be strong. And now, on your way up as you deadlift, I want your tongue to push to the roof of your mouth as hard as possible. And the reason, it's almost like a developmental neuromuscular like inhibition to move. So when babies develop, the way for them to start moving their head is they use their tongue to direct where they're gonna look. 
And then eventually when they decide to roll over, the tongue drives that movement. So it's almost like a way to reset our nervous system of like, hey, I have this weight and I want to go up. So tongue to the roof of the mouth. It's a old power lifting um, cue. Who knows if it works? I do it. It tends to work a lot. Like when I deadlifted 300 pounds for the first time, that's what I did. Like, who knows? It might be just a, like some sort of wise tale, whatever it is, right? But those are the cues that I use. So following this progression of everything that we did is what I do with every new client. Even a client that is a CrossFitter that's been doing it forever, but they're super injured. This is the progress we go through. And not once did any of my clients have had back pain deadlifting. This is like the surefire way to do it as a progression standpoint. Now there's other stuff that I add into the programming to make sure that they don't injure themselves because we haven't even hammered like hip stability, core stability, you know, shoulder stability, shoulder mobility, like all the other things that play a huge role in the deadlift. We haven't even covered that, but this is the progression that I follow along with all that other stuff. And I've never, ever, ever, ever had a client with low back pain deadlifting. And we get to max lifts. Like, I just believe that everyone should be able to deadlift heavy. They should lift heavy and not feel pain unless they're being stupid and not following their volume, right? So I'm going to end it there because we talked a lot. The dog's dead asleep. She probably wants to go outside. And uh, hopefully this was helpful for all those who were just listening. Um, hit the show notes. The video link will be there. All the people watching, subscribe to my channel. I'll be posting a lot more of these. Um, if you're listening, give me a five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, Spotify, wherever you're listening to bump up my podcast so more people can get some good information about fitness and health. That's it from you guys. Thank you. Until so before I get started, um, just to get a, like a sense of the room, who here has deadlifted with a barbell? Okay, almost everybody. Um, and out of all of you deadlifting with the barbell, any of you experience low back pain doing it, or like something just doesn't feel right, or maybe you just you just don't get it? Okay, so a lot of time. Okay, so this will be really good. So maybe. Um, in the hands-on portion, we might just go right into the barbell deadlift because I find a lot of times when people go to gyms, they see people deadlifting and they're like, oh, okay, I'll, I guess I'll do it too. And it just doesn't feel right. And a lot of times when we're seeing the aura members come to the clinic and you know, I, I usually just ask them like, what hurts in the class like deadlifts? So I'm like, okay, well, let's see your deadlift. And it's usually not anywhere close what it should be. And it's like switching like one or two different things and out of nowhere they're like this feels a lot better and i'm like yeah that's all you got to do sometimes people kind of get worried that it's one of those exercises that it's going to you know make things worse but it's actually the reverse is like it's a really good exercise to kind of bulletproof your body and i always kind of use that terminology with clients where i want to make you bulletproof so that when you go pick up your kid you're not out of commission for a week and you have to call into work saying that you hurt your back picking up your kid. But uh, anyway, I'm going off topic. We're going to get into this thing. So Rafael Majeshevsky, that is my name. If you don't know who I am, I have a unique kind of placement in this uh, gym where I work for Aura. 
as one of the coaches, an educator, and also doing all the social media. And then also I work for Restore, where I've partnered up with uh, Sarah, where we've kind of been bridging the gap, because a lot of times when I've been training clients, someone gets injured, I'm like, yep, you should go see Physio or Cairo. They go, and then, you know, they get an exercise like, you know, clamshells and bird dogs, and they do it wrong at home, or they can't even remember what it is, and they don't really get better, and they don't know if they should go back to the gym just yet, and maybe the physio or chiro doesn't really understand exercise, and they just think, like, every trainer throws people into burpees and, like, running on the treadmill until you're crying, but that's not true. There's some good coaches out there, so when Sarah and I met, we're, we decided that we need to kind of bridge that gap and get people better faster. Uh, so that's what I do with Restore along with their social media as well. And then this is a selfish plug. I have my own podcast called Cut the Shit, Get Fit, where I interview a lot of coaches that I look up to every week and get their thoughts on you know, nutrition, fat loss, strength, powerlifting, whatever, sometimes Netflix series if we have time. But uh, great resources if you are into podcasts. Um, so the title of my presentation is How to Deadlift and Squat Without Effing Up Your Shit because a lot of people should be squatting and deadlifting, but at the same time, they don't really know what they're doing. And I've seen some really fit individuals in this gym hurt themselves back squatting and deadlifting. And when you ask them certain questions, they have no clue what I'm talking about. So it's great to you know and get that going. So you'll see a lot of this kind of stuff online and people think this is okay. And you're just like, no. So one of the coaches that I follow, he has something called a shit test. So if something smells like shit, looks like shit, most likely it's shit. So anytime you're in a gym and you look at an exercise and you're just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's right, you're most likely right that it's wrong. And a lot of people do this over and over again. They end up like this guy where they have to like drink water over a tap with a hurt back and it's super embarrassing. Um, so you're probably asking yourself, like, what should I do? So step one, anytime you're in pain, like, don't try to, like, go on Google, like, how do I fix my back pain? Like, go see a chiropractor like Sarah. She doesn't do this, but, like, I'm a huge fan of The Simpsons, and, like, that was, this is how I do my presentations. Like, before even putting information together, I look at GIFs and images and then see if I could plug it into a presentation. So a lot of this stuff is going to pop up throughout this whole thing. Um, and the second kind of portion when you kind of figure out what's going on with your body when you see a chiro or a physio is to get a movement assessment. And that's where I come into play. So anytime I get a new client, I want to see how they move. And I use something called the functional movement screen where it kind of places your body in positions where it's supposed to capture pain. And if I capture pain in those movements, that's, again, I'll refer out to Sarah to be like, hey, this person in their overhead squat had pain in their right hip. See if you can figure that out. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't work out. There's just some things that we need to address first before we you know, load the pattern. Then the next step, that's Sarah assessing me. Anyway, um, step three, there's always prerequisites. I always use this word for um, clients where if you want to be able to deadlift, you have to meet a certain criteria. So I kind of make the example where you know, you're in university and you want to get your four-year degree. So rather than going into like intro to psychology 101, you take the highest level course, you're sitting in there, you're like, what the hell's going on? And you fail the course. So you want to have certain prereqs in order to be able to deadlift pain-free. And one of the tests that I sometimes do is getting people to touch their toes. And a lot of people can't do that. And it's 
there's more to it, but essentially it's like, if you can't touch your toes, what gives you the right to go all the way down into a deadlift position and lift weight off the ground if you even can't get there? There's more to it, but that's just a small little example I like to give to people to make them, you know, understand what's going on. So I have kind of like a check mark list of what you need in order to deadlift. So the first one is having enough core strength, right? So things like doing front planks, side planks, anti-rotation exercises are great to build that core strength, not only in the front, but like when I say core, like I'm talking about this whole area and a lot of people waste their time doing crunches that don't really give that bang for your buck. And when you go into something you know, advanced like a deadlift, those crunches that you've been doing over and over again are not gonna cut it like this cat, right? It's just, this is, this is how people usually look when they do crunches anyway. So it's like focusing on more functional core stuff that will build a resilient body so that when you do um, grab a barbell, you don't kind of collapse forward. So the next thing too is having enough T-spine mobility. So your thoracic spine up here in order to actually deadlift, you need to be able to extend. And a lot of people who sit all day at a desk are like here all the time. And I always tell this to clients, like, again, sitting's not bad, like Sarah said, but the average person, they sit while driving to work for 45 minutes. They sit at a desk eight to 10 hours every day. Then they go back into their car to drive another 45 minutes. And so now they're eating dinner sitting. Now they're sitting on their couch watching Netflix for the rest of the night, do that five days a week, Three decades go by and you're like this and now you want to go deadlift. So a good example of someone having bad mobility is like Drake when he got into deadlifting and working out, just he just can't extend through his T-spine. So that's what usually happens. So now if you layer on top, poor core, bad T-spine mobility, that's how deadlifts usually look. The next one is actually engaging the lats. So with T-spine mobility, if you have enough of it, you're able to engage these guys here. But a lot of times also people think they're engaging their lats by like, I'm gonna squeeze my shoulder blades back. But that doesn't really get this entire section of your lats to actually engage in order to extend up properly in the deadlift. And then the last thing is having full hip extension while having your glutes engaged. So a lot of times when, again, that average person that sits all the time, when I get them into the gym, they can't extend their hips all the way. So when I get them to do glute bridges, they kind of get stuck to a certain spot and then they can't get these guys going. So they'll usually feel hamstrings or like low back. So now we got to figure out a way to give more hip extension in order for them to deadlift. And like one of the things I like giving them in the beginning is glute bridges, but finding a way to, you know, get those glutes activated and then eventually progress them to like something like a hip thrust. And I have this rule when people do glute bridges or any kind of hip thrust is not to look me in the eye like this guy because it's super creepy as you're thrusting your hips forward. So that's like gym etiquette 101. Don't look at someone directly in the eye when you do hip thrusts. So if I had to create like a progression of where I start with clients, I kind of go through this. So if someone was brand new and does not understand the difference between hinging their hips or squatting forward, I want them to practice learning how to do this over and over and over and over again until it's just like ingrained that in their head that, you know, when they go to pick something off the ground, they're not going to do some weird thing to lift it up. They're going to just automatically go boom and then pick something off the ground. 
from there, that's where I would go actually learn um, how to like lift something off the ground. But it's really interesting, like talking to Sarah about this this week when we were prepping for this presentation. It's like even when I coach clients deadlifts and they do it perfect, like we'll finish our fourth set of 10 reps, their deadlift looks spot on, perfect, and then they go over to the water fountain and they're just like this. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, we just practiced this. So it's like, now that gives me information of like what they do every day. Because a lot of times in the clinic, we'll see people come in with complaining about low back pains. I go, what did you do? I picked up my sock. Like, that's a heavy ass sock that you just picked up. But it's because of that bad habit. It's just, you know, in my head, I'm like, if I can teach someone this constantly, then maybe when they go pick something up, they'll kind of have that in their head and they can go grab it without hurting themselves. So. With the deadlift, what I kind of want to do today is maybe just start at the barbell so people can feel a little bit more confident. But again, a lot of times people feel like they have to do the barbell, but sometimes like your body might not be designed to deadlift properly and we just need to find something else. Because a lot of times we'll get into the presentation later, like everyone has different hips, everyone has different stuff going on. And maybe we just have to elevate it. Maybe we have to turn your toes out. Maybe we got to put your feet closer together. It's just finding what works for you. Um, so maybe what we can do is actually move the chairs out of the way. We'll do a small warm up because I don't want people going into um, you know something cold like this. So let's slide the chairs out of the way and uh, do our thing. What I do with clients all the time is um, something called CAR. So this is an abbreviation for controlled articular rotations, which is a fancy way of saying we're going to move our joints to the way designed. So a lot of times when we see patients, this is what I give them, and it looks kind of dinky, whatever, but when you start moving the joints the way they're supposed to, you tend to feel better, right? So we're sending like synovial fluid, blood flow, nutrients to that joint, and I kind of describe it as like we're flossing our joints. So in the beginning, it sucks, your thumbs are bleeding, but down the line, if you keep flossing, your teeth will improve. Same with our joints. We're going to build the integrity of our joints. And then from there, we can add some more complex movements. So we're going to kind of work our way up all the way down the line from each joint. Before we start, does anybody have any injuries I should know about? All right, what, what do we got? OK. All right, so this is where cars go super important. So you never want to go through pain. You want to go around it. So the way I describe it is we're drawing a perfect circle with our joint. Say you're going and you hit tightness, maybe even pain, go around it. So I want you to create a buffer zone. So here's an example. I have a client right now, super, super shitty shoulder. And this is a shoulder car. Best case scenario is that's how it's going to look. For him, it's this. That's pain-free. And that's what I want because what we're doing is we're promoting a response back to the brain that this is a safe pattern to do. If you're constantly going through pain and it feels like garbage, your brain's going to remember that and tell you to F off and make things worse. So don't go through pain. Everything should be pain-free. If it's tight, that's okay, but create a buffer zone. So we're going to start with our necks. All we're going to do nice and uh, slowly. Again, speed's not your friend, so go slow. Neck is going to come down nice and slow. We're going to go to the left and make a big, big, big circle around to the right, come back down, and then we're going to freeze in the middle and come back the same way we came. So we're going to do three rotations there and back, nice and slow, and try not to move anything else other than your neck. 
And then when you're done, you can awkwardly look at me and I'll give you the next one. <laughs> yeah. Or you can do the creepy eyes like the guy hip thrusting. <laughs> so the next one we're going to do our uh, shoulder blades. So the next one you're going to have your hands on your pants the entire time. So I want you to think of sliding your hands into your front pockets while bringing those shoulders forward. Then from here, you're going to slide your shoulders up towards your ears. Now you're going to bring your hands towards your back pockets and bring those uh, shoulder blades together, and they're going to slide down. Then we're going to reverse the same thing, nice and slow. So, yeah, so you don't want to bend the elbows. You want to keep them locked out, keeping the hands on the pants. So we're going to go there and back for three, nice and slow. And again, if there's pain, Create a buffer. Don't go through it, go around it. Crunching. Crunching's fine. <laughs> Means something's working. <laughs> so after three, what we're going to do is our thoracic spine. This one takes a little practice, and a lot of people don't really get it. So watch me before you start doing it. You're going to cross your arms in half just like this. And what we're trying to focus on is bending from the top here and not our low back. Because a lot of times when people do T-spine cars, they try to do this. But what I want to see is this. And what we're going to do from here is we're going to slide to the left, extend back, rotate around to the right, come back down to the center, and then reverse right back. So we're drawing a giant circle once again with our spine. And something that can help is if you squeeze your bum to lock this out, because a lot of times people kind of hinge at the hips and they might get into this position. So remember, just the upper portion of your spine. Give it a try. <laughs> if you're lucky, you might get a few cracks too. And we're nice and slow. Don't go through pain. And breathe. <laughs> All right, I feel like we've done three. Everyone's just they're still they're still going. So what we're gonna do is shoulders next. So what I want is your left hand to go on your right hip, and this is gonna give you feedback if you start rotating your whole hip and torso. So watch me first before you go. You're going to have your right hand out, thumb straight, and from there you're going to reach up as high as possible until you hit that first roadblock of tightness. From there you're going to start rotating the wrist and thumb, then elbow, then shoulder coming all the way down, and now my thumb is behind me. Now we're going to reverse the motion nice and slow and rotate right back to where we first started. What I don't want to see is this, and I've seen it, and people think they're doing it right. So try to suck the shoulder down and try not to use your neck or hip or anything funky like that. So let's give it a try, three per side, nice and slow. As you're going, the one thing I want you to remember is a lot of times when people get out here, this is where it's tough, they'll just kind of drop really quick. So when you get to those tight spots, slow it down even further. That's going to give more feedback to the body of what's going on. Again, there is a learning curve to it, and a lot of times I'd explain it like if I gave you a whole dance routine to learn and you had to do it fast, it'd look pretty ugly. But if you slowed down every single movement, your brain would have enough time to understand what you're trying to get at, 
and then it's going to look clean and perfect. Have we done three per side? Yep. Okay. <laughs> So for those who are done, next thing we're going to do is hip cars. So ideally, if you can grab like something like this, the squat racks, so you can be in a single leg stance. You can also use the wall that we have in the back. We would just have to move the benches. But something just solid that you're not going to fall over on. So we have like a lot of pillars over here if people want to hold on to them. Just make sure you can see me. <laughs> so what we're going to do for hip cars, we're going to go right hand holding on to something and left hip working. So what we're going to do, your left hand is going to be on your rib cage so you have room for that leg to move. So what we're going to do is you're slowly going to drive the knee up as high as possible. It'll drive the leg out to the side rotate the hip, and now this knee is going to continue around drawing a circle, so that knee meets the other knee, and then from there I'm going to reverse, open up, and drive the heel, and come back down. We're going to do three per side. Again, this one does take some time to, you know, get things going. Sometimes it's going to feel awkward, but the slower you go, the better it is. When in doubt, just think of drawing a big circle with your hip. What I don't want to see is when you get to those tough parts, you're rotating your whole body. There is a chance that your hamstring might cramp if you're trying to extend so far back and you don't have good control of your glute. Your hamstring will kind of take over and it'll feel like it's, you know, betraying your body, but that's okay. So again, three per side and then we'll get this going. So yeah, grab a dowel and I'm going to explain what we're going to do and I'm going to come around and Sarah can do the same thing. Um, and this is a quick assessment that I stole from Dr. John Russin, in which I thought was super brilliant. If we're running out of dowels, we have more, don't worry. We got a couple more there, too. So this next one, so Sarah and I will kind of split everyone up. What we're going to do, because we've all kind of played around with a barbell deadlift, this is what I do with clients to kind of find their depth, is we're going to hold on to the dowel and we're going to pretend like it's our barbell. And we're going to slowly go down to a deadlift. And what we're going to do is we're going to come around and put our hands on your low back. And what we're going to do is my fingers are going to be together, and the moment they spread apart, I'm going to tell you to stop. And that's going to be where your deadlift uh, depth should be. So it's a really easy way to figure out if you are, you know, going too far, too low, whatever it may be. And then you can kind of have like a mental note of like, okay, I'm supposed to stop right before my knee bone. I'm supposed to stop right before, right after my, where my patella is. And then when you're in the gym, you can actually elevate your deadlift where you're supposed to go. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so Sarah left me, so I'm going to try to do as many as possible. <laughs> I'm coming, I'm coming. Right about there. So just memorize that small line. Did you, did you feel it want me to do it again? So. Come back up again and do it again. Nice and slow. What about there? Yeah. Same thing. I got you. Whenever you're ready. What about there? Memorize that line. So come back this way. So nice and slow and try to keep the dowel sliding down on your... Right about there. Yeah. 
I'm covered. Um, so come back up. So you're kind of getting into that squat. I want you to see more of a hinge. Almost like think of bowing forward. That's better. All right, so come back up, and we'll do the same thing. Right about there. Yeah. But again, like this can change, because when we actually place a barbell, you might be able to go a little bit lower whenever you're ready. About there. Yeah. Yeah, so memorize that imaginary line. Before we get started, a couple things that I always see that people do um, as a mistake with the deadlift is when they get to it, they're way too far back. So what I see a lot of times is, you know, barbells in front of them, and they're like this. So now when you deadlift, the fulcrum of the whole movement becomes your low back. The moment you slide it in towards your shins, now the majority of the weight's going to go through your hamstrings and glutes, and that kind of bulletproofs that whole idea of, you know, I'm not going to F my shit up when I lift this thing. So with that in mind, that also goes down to one of those points that I made to get lat activation. Really hard to get lat activation over here, but when you pull, pull it down this way, that's how you get your lats engaged. So let's try, who, who wants to go first and we'll go one by one. <laughs> All right. So, okay, so what we can do, um, what I usually get people to do, this does take some time, but we're going to do it anyway. So we're going to put a couple 45s. All right, so get towards it, even closer, even closer. There you go. So if you look at like powerlifters that are really, really good at what they do, they are super close to the bar to the point where you're going to feel like you're going to scrape your shins. So a lot of times when people get over that fear that they're not going to scrape their shins, the thing that happens is on their way back down, they'll start doing this. They'll kind of want to miss their knees. And again, now we're getting back into like, oh, I feel my low back and not my hamstrings and glutes. So it takes a lot of practice to kind of get over that fear. But um, let's reach down and just set up and don't pull just yet. How does that feel so far? Good. Yeah. Yeah, so if you feel hamstrings just kind of like giving you feedback, that's okay. But like already her position looks so much better. And if we had it on the floor, something would have already have compensated. It's usually like this, this is what happens. So to get into a good position to actually lift it, a lot of people make the mistake of, all right, this is heavy. I'm going to yank. Whereas I want you to think of pulling it in, breaking the bar in half to get those lats engaged, and then thinking of like old school leg press machine where you're trying to push the weight away from you, but your whole body is stiff. So when I get clients deadlifting, I tell them I want you to squeeze the crap out of that bar like you want to break it. So same thing for you. I want you to squeeze it super tight and nice and slow, just drive it up, and we'll see what we got after that first rep. Yep, all the way up, and then back down nice and slow. Yeah, so that wasn't too bad. So the next kind of layer, how did it feel? Good. Okay, so the next kind of layer I get people to do is now that we have you know, the distance pretty close, we're squeezing tight, we're breaking the bar, is now want feet placement. So what I get people to think of is first you're putting your heel in, big toe in, and then the rest of the toes. So now we're kind of like a tripod into the ground. We're rooted, and we're not going to move anywhere, and now we have our arch kind of activating. 
And then the next layer after that, what I get people to do is thinking of pushing their feet out this way. So the moment you do that, you feel this turn on. A lot of times this is another way to create that tension. Because a lot of times when I see people deadlift, they kind of lose it at one point. Like they'll get super tight and as they come up, they kind of they kind of lose it. So as much as possible, if we can create more tension in our deadlifts, then you kind of bulletproof yourself again not to mess things up. So for this next one, squeeze, break in half, feet are rooted into the ground, and as you're coming up, you're pushing your feet out this way. And breathe. And then back up. And then back down. Perfect. So like, that looked amazing. Like, you know, if she was my client, it'd be like, awesome. And we'll practice this. And like, again, it's not heavy, but the form is perfect. And I want people to get really comfortable with that. And then maybe three weeks, four weeks, five weeks from now, add another set of tens on there. And then as this gets easier and easier, we're building that weight up. And most likely, if you continue training and your body's moving better, let's now drop 145 on. Let's get less weight and then build up from there. It's a constant like build up, recover, build up, recover. That feel good? Awesome. Who's next? Awesome. Were you guys more about the same imaginary line? Yeah, and then I thought Andy and I would we end up sharing bars anyway. Okay, fair enough. So before you go, I want this to be tight. Yeah, there you go. Squeeze super tight. And good. So, what for you, like, what I see a lot too is if you guys didn't see it, she kind of likes to keep her toes up. And, like, this is a thing that I've seen for years where people want to, like, I need to feel my hamstrings. So, like, going onto your heels, yeah, you're going to feel your hamstrings. But as the weight gets heavier, I see a lot of times people losing balance if they're putting, like, everything back here. And then over time, it becomes a bad habit. And sure, you can see some progression, but over time, you're going to hit a plateau. So now you have to retrain this bad habit and kind of go back to square one. So it's always good to, you know, this is why I like training general population from, like, brand new, is teaching them those good habits. So then when they want to get strong, you just, it's automatic. It's quick. So just like we said before, I want you to think heel, toe, the rest of the toes. And then keep it tight. And also on the way down, try to keep it tight towards you and try not to lift it over. So already you can move further forward with your legs. Get tight up here. Squeeze the bar like you want to break it. And then don't be scared to come all the way up. Yeah. So a lot of times people will forget to do that, and they kind of stay in that hunched over position. And that, again, brings more tension onto that low back. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but again, there's, there's more to it. And if I was being really picky, so come back down. Like, there's something going on here that she can't get that last little, like, extension. Like, I don't know, what, what do you see? Yeah, so... Uh, my little back not supposed to be on. Uh, it's not necessarily... I'm not really seeing a it's lot of... It's not in pain. Like, back. it feels great. It's just, like, I'm being picky, and I'd rather see it a little bit more neutral. So if I saw that with a client, and, like, we've already elevated it, I would go, you know what, let's try sumo deadlift. Because then now that's going to make you a little bit more upright. Yeah. So for a sumo deadlift, I want you to go wider with your toes out a little bit. 
And then when you reach down, I want your arms to go inside the knees. And a lot of people, when they get into that position, they kind of want to do this. But again, if you want full glute activation and extension, you want to push your knees out and keep that position where the knee's kind of right over the ankle and squeeze super tight, bending the bar and then driving it up. Then come back down and try to keep it tighter on the way down. Like that already looks better in her low back. So now it's like, okay, we found that this stance is better. And again, it's like a lot of people, and you can stop, um, just see that, you know, everyone's doing conventional deadlifting, and they're like, that's what I'm going to do too. But maybe there's something going on here that you don't even know about that when you go down there, it might not feel bad right there and then. Say three months down the road, you go reach for something or you go deadlift, and then your back's like, mm -mm, that's not cool. Boom, something happens. That's where, you know, coaching comes into play to see those small things. And it's like, maybe we do an assessment. Maybe you go see Sarah and figure out why this is not functioning properly. And then now we have more pieces to the puzzle to figure out what's the best stance and approach to your deadlift. Which is not bad, like we can elevate it, but like right now it's not too bad. But the one thing I'm kind of curious about is your low back in this position. But okay, so go for it. And then come back down, yeah. Keep going, do a couple more. Do you ever get low, like soreness in your back? And good. So. This is a good example, like she looks in a like a good strong position, but like do you get usually like sore like right here? I do. Yeah. yeah. So she doesn't know how to use her hip for extension. She's using her lumbar spine for extension first and then the hips. So this is really common for like yogis or women who are really um, mobile and flexible. Um, so one of our yoga instructors, Camila, right now is uh, learning how to be a coach. And we went over the deadlift for, with her for about a three hours. And I, like, right off the bat, because I knew she's really, really flexible. I'm like, you get low back pain when you deadlift. She's like, every single time. So when I saw her deadlift, like, one, she gets here, and she's literally like this the entire time with her head up. And when she comes up, it's her low back first to extend, and then her hips. So it might be just, like, cueing that... I don't want you to extend through here, but more through the hips. Um, go again, and when you're um, driving up, like really, really, really squeeze on the bar because I want this to be locked. Yeah, like yeah. to a point where you break it, but don't break it. We need these. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and get a little less arch there if you can, but keep your head down. The other way that you just did. Yeah, and try to keep tight. Take a deep breath in, hold it, and then drive up. That was better. So maybe her issue is actually learning how to turn on her core. Because a lot of times when people deadlift or just do an exercise where they have to think about it, they just like they just don't breathe, and they don't create intra-abdominal pressure. So this kind of goes back to point number one, having a strong core. And having a strong core all starts from breathing. right? So when we get... Um, low back patients, a lot of times I'm teaching them how to breathe. So much of, so many of us kind of breathe through our chest 
and they don't, we don't use our diaphragm. And when this starts working better, your hips get a little bit looser and those hips kind of get that low back to kind of settle down. So when I think of powerlifting, those powerlifters, the reason why they don't have their discs like shooting across the floor when they deadlift is they know how to use their diaphragm and pelvic floor. And when you have these two working properly, they kind of compress it down into like, you know, your core muscles into this kind of canister. And a good example that I give people is like if you took a Coke can that's not open, you step on top of the Coke can with your whole body, it's not going anywhere. The moment you open it, boom, it just crushes down. So a lot of times like powerlifters will use the cue of get fat. So I want you to breathe in through here, hold that tension and then drive up. If you can't keep that tension, weird stuff will happen. So like with you really quickly is like breathe in, hold and then drive up. And like, yeah, so sometimes what I tell patients and clients to do is like, if you're at home and you can't fall asleep at night because you're like thinking a bunch of stuff and you're on your phone looking at Facebook, go one hand on your belly, one hand on your chest, and all you're going to do is breathe into your bottom hand. So you breathe in and then exhale without that top hand moving. But a lot of times people go and then back down. So it's all through here. And that's kind of the first step of learning how to breathe. And sometimes it's just that one thing. Cool. Any questions on breathing, core, activation? No? Who wants to go next? Okay, let's do this thing. So let's bend your knees. Like, get into that position. Yep. Squeeze tight. How does it feel being in this position? Okay. Okay, so what we can do, we can actually add another 45 pound plate because that makes it a little bit easier. Um, yeah, let's play around with that. Yep. So again, like if it's super painful, then we can, uh, oh, thank you, thank you. We can also use a thinner bar with the fives. Um, they just kind of drop it. I see that with clients all the time. They're doing really well through all their reps. On their last one, they just, I'm done, right? So people just, I don't know why they do it. They just, they just do it, right? So that's why creating tension, keeping that tension in your body the entire time is super important. Because when, you know, if I told you to pick up a 100-pound dumbbell, you wouldn't want to be like, okay, let's go pick it up now. You'd want to, like, brace yourself, squeeze it super tight, and then drive up, right? But for some reason, when we're deadlifting light, because I want to teach the pattern, they feel like they're able to just like, yeah, I'm done now, I can just throw it down. So that's why like even on your last rep when you're putting it down, it should still be perfect just like if you're about to do another rep. And that's another good cue that I tell people is like some of the best powerlifters in the world that are really, really, really strong, they can learn the feedback that their body's giving them that if they did one more rep, they would get injured, right? So if you listen to your body more of what's going on, um, you can have a higher chance of not injuring yourself. So like when I deadlift in my programming, I'm looking at how much sleep did I get and what's the quality of sleep, how's my stress been during the week, and how much volume have I done already for the week. And, and good. So a couple things. Kind of like Annie, when you came down, you're here. So 
if you can think about almost finding neutral with your spine and before you go taking that deep breath in, hold it for a second and then drive up and then on your way down, same thing, try not to put it over your knees. Almost think of literally like sliding your hands down towards your knees. Better, yeah. And good. So that was better on the put down, but now what's happening is when you come down, you're doing, sorry, you're doing this with your head. And that's a, a habit I see a lot with people is they're constantly doing this when they deadlift. This with their deadlift. So what happens in that position when you do this, now it's shorting up all this. So now you can't be elongated. Now if you do this, you also lose some power. There's some cool stuff that I've seen online where they do a quick assessment of someone lying on the ground face first and they're just trying to drive their heel up into someone's uh, hand. And with the face down, because now your spinal cord is nice and straight, they were able to resist against the person. Putting their head up and trying to do the same thing, they lost some power. So if you're thinking about, you know, increasing your deadlift as you're getting stronger and you're constantly doing this, you know, I would like to keep it packed down. But again, it also depends on the situation, right? If you were an Olympic weightlifter, yeah, they're here all the time. If you were, you know, powerlifting, yeah, I would kind of want you to have a packed neck. And for the most part, general population people, like, you don't need to keep doing this to go to. Like if someone's really like struggling with um, their deadlift, then maybe start there. And if it feels like way too easy, then it's like, okay, maybe let's go a little bit lower. But it's all trial and error, right? Whatever feels better, that's where you want to kind of go. But let's straighten this guy out. Do a couple more. Like that looks pretty good to me. Like how does it feel? Yeah. And good. Okay, perfect. No pain, no nothing, no tingling, no. Yeah, so like. All I've been doing is just a kettlebell, like a lighter kettlebell yeah. from Physio and Cairo, and I was even yeah. struggling with that. Yeah, so like a lot of times, you know, that's where I start with clients. It's like after I teach them how to hinge yeah. with just their bodies, like, yeah, I'll go to a kettlebell. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, like, you know, there's exception to the rules, right? So sometimes I like just going from here because maybe someone told me, like, I really want to learn how to barbell deadlift, and I'm not going to tell them no. Um, sometimes like the kettlebell when I get them e either from top down or top up, mm -hmm. like having them here, they don't, they can't like get to this. So it all depends on the person. But like, to me, like that looked really good and you know, 65 pounds that with, felt great. And yeah. Struggling with the yeah. So, yeah. Like totally. And like, say this is where it comes back to like listening to your body. Say you did this for one week and it felt great. And the next week it's like, it felt like complete garbage, maybe elevating it one more time. Like after like three, 
45s, it gets kind of tedious to keep like putting them back on. But you know, using two plyo boxes, like the ones that actually have the inches written down, like the ones that we have, like we have you know a 12 inch, six inch, or 18 inch, like just going from there and just learning how to hinge. So like one of my buddies who moved over to Hollywood to train a lot of um, Hollywood actors for films, he got to work with um, Bradley Cooper for American Sniper. And he had to put on like 60 pounds of muscle and he wanted the guy to deadlift. And uh, I remember him telling me that Bradley Cooper's toe touch was literally this. Like you could not go any further. So he's like, how the hell am I gonna get this guy deadlifting? So he used the trap bar, which is another option. And his trap bar deadlift was usually to here and back up. But he got Bradley going up to 600 pounds, and that's still a good you know, feedback and stress into the nervous system to get stronger and to build muscle. Like there's no rule that you have to go off the ground. And a lot of people, when they see the deadlift online in the gyms, they're like, I have to go off the ground. But if you ask yourself, like, why do you want to go off the ground? You're just like, I don't know. The only reason why it's like this is that when weightlifting went into the Olympics, they had to figure out how much distance they need the bar from the ground, that if the lifter lost the barbell and came crashing down on them, how much clearance they need for their head not to get crushed in. So they measured people's heads, and on average, I think the bar from the ground is like 11 inches. So if you put your head underneath, you won't get crushed. And then they made sure that the, all the uh, plates were in that diameter to have 11 inches off the ground. That's the only reason why. So elevating it, you're still going to get strong. You're still going to build resiliency. So why not, right? Any questions, thoughts, concerns so far? No? Does anybody else want to jump in that I haven't done? Yeah. I have a question. Yes. What do, you, what do you mean, like shorter this way? Um, again, it's like you don't have to do the full bar, right? Like if you were Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting, I'd be like, no, you have to stick to the full bar. But if you want to just get stronger hamstrings and glutes and get strong in the deadlift, why not, right? Also, there are bars that are thinner because sometimes people have smaller hands, right? And again, it's like you don't have to conform to what the rules are. Like that's just like throwing a square peg in a round hole, like trying to like just get it in there and it's not going to work. So there's no, like, as a coach, I would not tell a client, like, no, you're not using a short bar, right? But it's like, in my head, like, if you wanted to challenge yourself down the road, because eventually you can't pack weight on the shorter bars because it's only so long. So you might hit a plateau, and then when you go move on to the longer bar, it might feel off, right? But if it's like for single leg deadlifts, why not? And that's something else is like sometimes with clients that just can't do the barbell deadlift and it's hurting their back and it's just getting really frustrating, I'll switch them to a single leg. And a lot of people can get that and you get a little bit more bang for your buck. Because when you look at functional training, we are all creatures of one leg at a time. We're never like this unless you're, I don't know, playing darts, right? Like, and every sport's always on one leg. So it's like, why not train like that too? Yeah, there's always options for people. You don't always have to conform to what you see. It's just learning what those things are. Yeah. Any injuries I should know about? Uh, well, like a year ago, I hurt my back at the so Okay, this is going to be perfect. Okay. <laughs> don't be scared. Okay. Yeah, I was with a trainer, and I was working up. I like, did the kettlebells, and I worked up to a bar. Mm -hmm. and then one day, it was after like 
before you lift it. Um, so let's go feet closer. So this is another good point. Um, when people are trying to deadlift, sometimes they go too wide. So if I asked you, I want you to jump as high as possible, would you want to do this? You'd get pretty close with your feet to jump up. So if you look at the deadlift as a power exercise, you generate more power, you want a smaller base of support to kind of get that. So sometimes just switching that will make a huge difference. But yeah, so that's a little bit better. Um, reach down and don't pull up just yet. There's a couple things I want to do. So head down, try to keep it neutral. And let's try to get this together a little bit more. Yep. And then squeeze super tight like you want to break it. And then try to drive up. And then come back down. And then stop there. How did that feel? Okay. So like it's in your initial um, point of lifting, your position was like this, right? So you kind of want to have a more of a neutral base with your spine and reaching down. But another thing I see a lot of times when people have a really good lift up on their way down, they'll sometimes kind of slide their legs forward and then come here, right? It's kind of, again, a weird habit that people do is this like kind of weird, I don't know, stanky leg thing. But again, this comes down to practice, right? Like if you, again, going back to that powerlifting um, analogy I always bring up, if you ask any powerlifter that's been doing it for decades, they'll tell you that their deadlift's not perfect, right? So if those people are saying that they can always improve, again, like for general population, like there's always ways to make it better and feel better and look better. But uh, let's do a couple more. And same thing, like squeeze the bar super tight. Think of getting a deep breath in, keeping the head neutral, pushing the feet out. And then when you're ready, drive up. And then come back down nice and slow. Yeah, so that was a lot better already, right? So if someone's deadlifting on their own, they don't really have someone watching it or you don't film yourself doing it, you don't know if you're doing it correctly. Now you're just building an old bad habit. So now every time you deadlift, it's just a little bit off. So it's like back pain doesn't happen like this. It's usually it led up to it. So a lot of times it's, you know, bending over to pick up your sock, bending over to pick up your kid with a rotation with bad um, form. And then you go to the gym and, you know, you've been deadlifting forever, but with kind of off form, it's kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. Right? So the more you can reinforce good patterns and good movement, then you kind of, again, bulletproof yourself to get better at it. But again, that was already better. Like, it's just a small little things. Um, yeah, so for you, it's like if you had your, like, camera, you'd be able to see it a little bit better. But it's just like if you're able to, again, engage the last by pulling the bar towards you, that's why I want people to get it close to, towards them. And when you're pulling this, this can extend a little bit more, this can stay flat, and then again, when you're bending it in half, it's more loud engagement, pulling this out towards the side, deep breath in, hold tight, and then drive up, then you'd have a good deadlift. You can try it again if you like. Yeah. Yep, squeeze tight. And good. So that was already better. The one thing, if I had to be super picky, because I think it's because like your brain remembered that you know I hurt my back, that initial movement, you're kind of shifting forward because you don't know if it's okay, and then coming up. Like when you hurt your back doing the deadlift, w at what point was it? Was it the liftoff, like the 
first a little bit. Okay, it was one of those. Yeah, so like it might just be one of those habits where like your back is trying to like protect you from injury again, but it's just like reinforcing that this pattern is safe again, doing it over and over and over again, and maybe just staying at this weight. And now, like you know, two months down the road, let's try adding a little bit more weight and going from there. Yeah. Yes. So on that, when I tell clients, it's like if you're getting sore down here, we got a problem. If you're sore up here, like mid back, I'm okay with that because a lot of times when everyone's been sitting like this all day, and I'm asking you to extend your spine in perfect posture and hold the weight and be super tight, these are just turning on and like those small little stabilizer muscles in your back are now, you know, getting a little bit stronger. So if you're getting sore up here, I'm not too worried about it. It's the moment it gets like down here and it's like deep and you're like, yeah, I did something wrong. Then that's where it's like, okay, we need to reevaluate how we're deadlifting. Yeah, let's do it. I already saw something interesting with this. So let's move you a lot further forward. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, now reach down for it. Yeah, so before you go, if you guys can see it from the side view, like there's something here that I'm like, as a coach, I'm like, yeah, there's something going on there. So let's drive up. And then come back down. How did it feel off of three? How did it feel off of three forty fives out of the two? Yeah, like again, if I had to be picky, there's something here that's kind of like stuck. And I've seen clients with like my client Kim. Kind of has that same like so like jammed up. So when I train clients, I try to get their movement patterns patterns to like improve. And one of the things I do is the cat uh, camel movement but one segment at a time. So our spine, with all the vertebrae that's kind of stacked on top, like every single one should have interdependency about seven to 10 degrees. And then when I get them to think of like, I want you to unravel your spine like L5, L4, L3. And then some people will start, start here and they're like, boom. And it's like, well, what happened to all these? And sometimes people are trying to think about like unraveling their spine and they're just staying in that position. They're like, am I doing it? I'm like, you're not even moving. So something like that, like a corrective exercise could help. It could be some other stuff. Like this is where a lot of times when clients think trainers are like gods of movement and rehab. But I always tell clients, I'm like, you know, maybe I can figure out what's going on, but I can like totally be wrong. And then you go to a physio in Cairo, they're like, oh, that guy's an idiot. So I always tell people, I'm like, I'm like glorified like PE teacher, like to be honest, right? Like. Yeah, sure, like I've been in the industry for a while and I can see patterns of people, but it's always easier just to go to like someone like Sarah and she'd be like, that's your issue. Boom, done. Uh, do you have a broken disc Okay. Treatment or something like that, like 
again, it would be hard to know right now, but um, he needs some extension for sure. <laughs> yeah. So in that case, would he know to do this exercise, or would you? Like, so. So, yep. Okay. Okay. So, like, the one thing, like, if I was training you as a client, I would actually move away from this for a while and go to single leg and see what happens. Because a lot of times when we go onto one leg and now we're working specific hip stabilizers, maybe something's going to open up and be like, hey, this feels better. Now I'm going to give you a little bit more freedom back here. And again, it's like a lot of people like this exercise over single leg stuff because it's more of a meat head exercise and it's easier. But when I get someone on one leg with weight coming down, like there's so much more that's happening. So you're like not only working your uh, glute, your hamstring, your adductor, low back stability, like there, foot stability, ankle stability, there's so much more happening. And when you get really good at that, like things start just clearing up. So you can use dumbbells, kettlebells, barbell, if you have really good balance. But it's like, I'm more impressed with people who have more single leg strength than you know a heavy deadlift. Cause it's like, I always ask people when they, are married to an exercise, I'm like, why do you want to do that one? What's the purpose? If the purpose is to get strong glutes and hamstrings. There's like 80 different exercises to do that. But again, it's like, it's more satisfying to see all the plates on the bar and uh, throw that on Instagram and you get all these likes. But if you do, you know, a single leg, everyone's like, man, whatever. But most people struggle just standing on one foot. And now getting really good at that and adding a load to it is a whole nother animal. And again, that's another way to bulletproof your body. Yeah. All right. Any other questions people want to try? Yes. Um, so whatever leg is coming back, I would have a contralateral load, so the hand holding, yeah, with a kettlebell, dumbbell. I like kettlebells more, only because like the ones that are good quality, they have a thicker handle. So now you're working grip strength a little bit more, and that will translate to this. Because a lot of times when people are trying to deadlift, they hit a plateau because they can't hold on anymore. And they end up kind of like losing their grip here, and when you lose tension, we're feeling it here, right? So you know, single leg deadlifts might be a great way to, you know, as a recovery, maybe for a phase or two, take away the barbell, go to single leg um, deadlifting. Yeah, so like the front leg would have a soft bend, and like the back leg can be straight, it can be bent, whatever feels more comfortable. As long as you're hinging at the hips and working glute hamstring, then by all means, yeah. Anyone else want to deadlift? Anyone else want to ask questions? Yeah, so when I train clients for single leg deadlifts, I go body weight first because it's like, if you can't stand on one leg, why would we load it, right? So what I tell people to do is like, I like to use hands as a counterbalance, is reaching out towards the front and coming back up. So a lot of people who've done yoga, they are like, oh, warrior three, and they lock their knee out, but I want to have more bend. 
so I can get my hamstring and glute firing. And a lot of times in yoga, if you already have low back stuff and you're locking out your knee, you're just jamming and pulling onto all the nerve endings that fall through that um, back of the knee. So if you have a lighter bend, you can get more glute and the hamstring activation. So for someone like you, what I do, it's a really easy, well, maybe go with a longer one. So again, let's go right hand, left leg out. You're going to, as you're coming back, you're pushing the dowel out and back up. And again, this is another cue of getting lat engagement. And then back up. Like that looked really good. So I would do this first. Yeah, so again, that's like all that feedback, right? And you're working that hip. And again, like the knee joint, I call it the stupid joint because it doesn't have its mind of its own. It's like the hip and ankle are the ones that control this. So we're working both of those joints to keep that knee in line. And then when I look at this as like bulletproofing again, people, is that this will lower your risk of getting like you know, meniscus tears, ACL tears, all that kind of crappy stuff that happens. But again, single leg strength and stability kind of trumps all. So on that side, I would have even a softer knee. Yep, all that shaking is honestly fine. You're not doing it wrong. If your knee was like, like that, then I'd be like, yeah, maybe let's do something else. But nice and slow. Right? Again, just like how we did cars, if you went through fast through it, you wouldn't get the benefit of it. Nice and slow will always work. Sometimes I like getting people barefoot, and that's another thing you can do in the deadlift, is you're getting, if you're barefoot, you get more feedback, because our feet are like our hands. Right? Our hands are exposed and we touch everything, but a lot of times, you know, with our feet, we're in socks and shoes all day, and now we don't have all that sensory information, so when I get someone barefoot, we're getting so much feedback and all those nerve endings in the feet go right to our hips. And it's like, it's a train of communication. Now with socks and shoes, we eliminate that. And that's why a lot of people get flat footed, collapsed arches and all this other crap. And sometimes like with some of my clients who have really bad feet, I'm like, let's go barefoot for this one hour. And they get a lot more information and a lot more, you know, strength built just because they're barefoot and they're getting more info. Any other questions, thoughts? No? Everyone's kind of tired, I can, I can tell.
only because the reason behind it is that the moment you go travel and you load your suitcase to 55 pounds, you're never going to do one of these and throw it onto the tarmac. So he likes to start people a little bit heavier to kind of initiate that you know thought process in your head that hey, this stuff is heavy. I gotta like prepare myself to lift it up. You'll find that sometimes with deadlifts, if you start too light, you don't really feel it. You don't really kind of get that feedback you need. So this is a good opportunity to kind of figure out what your body works best with. If you've never done the trap bar, we're going to have one that's elevated by the 45 pound plates and then one off the ground. And again, the trap bar is great because if you look at the handles at the top, like that's pretty high up there compared to say the um, straight bar where you would actually be down here. So it's already elevated. So if you start putting the 45s underneath, it's going to feel super easy. But I'd rather people learn the pattern, and then when they get confident after loading it, then go lower. Um, so quick demo. So you're literally going to stand into the middle of it. With the trap bar, you want your hands in the middle, not too far out, not too far this way. What happens if you lift, it's going to be in a tilted position. You're going to grab tight, so just like before, you're going to try to break the bar in half, so squeezing to create tension. You're going to drive up, lock the hips, and then right back down. So everything we just covered, we're going to test it out on the trap bar, and then see how it goes. Ready? Whoever wants to go first, they can give this a try. I told you to jump as high as possible. Would you want to do this wide with your feet? You try to get as close as possible to jump as high as possible. So just like the deadlift, where if you have a trap bar or a straight bar, and you're trying to produce as much power as possible, you actually want to lower down the closer stance. So if you want to try that again, you can. And what that does, it allows you to turn on those little intrinsic foot muscles. 
So if you actually see someone deadlift on the side, you'll actually see their foot and start, they'll start ripping into the floor, and that creates that arch, and that's going to keep you rooted into the ground. So I always tell people, when you set up for your deadlift, drive your heels into the floor, your big toe, and then the rest of your toes, and now you're a tripod rooted into the ground, and that's not going to move you anywhere. And when I get people to deadlift, I'll show a quick demo. You're going to set up, drive down, and again, depending on your lever lengths on your legs, some people's deadlift might look like this, some people it almost look like this. As long as you don't feel pain, you're good to go, but same rules apply. You're trying to bend the bar in half, you're driving up, locking out the hips, and then right back down. If you have a tendency to scrape your shins, there's something going on that's not the best in your position. So as you go through the deadlift, you want to almost have that Superman logo always facing the mirror. You're going to come up and drive. And you almost want to stick your chest out. And not to a point where you're going to extend so far back. Because just a lot of people, when they come up, they look like this. You just want that chest out. Think like a superhero. Just be a superhero. So don't be shy. Let's get in. Likely now, if you do pull-ups, your forearms are going to get tired before you're back, and then you start doing these things. But you know, grip strength trumps over everything else because the moment your grip strength goes, your body's not working the way it should. I would like almost like rebuild yourself from the ground up and go lighter and start working this. But most gym bros are screw it. I don't want to do that. <laughs> So let's do a couple things. Let's move your feet closer. So it was just like that too. Have uh, it together. It was just like her. She was over here. When you come down and your hands are getting close to the knees, they end up doing this because they don't want to hit each other. If you get closer, now you have that space. And then you almost want to so reach out right closer to the shins. But go a little bit closer with the hands. And I want you to grip the bar like you want to break the thing. And I also want you to think of pushing your feet out. Right and now it's going to turn on the hips. Super tight in here. Keep it tight, keep it tight, keep it tight. Hips a little bit lower. That's full, yeah, so we tighter than drive up. And breathe. So, a lot better. But what's happening to do uh, one more, just put it down. This happens a lot when people deadlift is, you know, they start off long end, they come up, it looks good, and then they start coming down, they're like, I don't want to hit my knees, move the bar, and that was exactly what was happening there, when people start moving the bar forward, they start feeling it a little bad, but now if you put the bar up here, it's going to be hamstrings and buttons, so you always have to think of like, pulling it as much as possible, yeah.
So the first thing we're going to do, yeah, get those shoes back on. Um, I get everyone through progression on how to squat as well. Um, the first one is going to mess up a lot of people, and I'm really excited to do it with you. So what it's called is the face the wall squat. It will show every single limitation that you have in your body, and you're most likely going to hit your face in the wall, so like, be careful. <laughs> so I'm just going to wave up the ties of shoes so they can see what I want. And you have to pick a wall where... Yeah, you want to like, watch it just a couple But yeah, everyone can like hover around you. Um, so, you're going to find a distance between the wall and yourself that you're not against it. If you are against it, it's going to be the hardest. But I want you to find a position where you're going to be challenged in your squat. Hopefully I don't rip my pants. So you're going to come down into your squat as low as possible without your knees touching, your face touching, or you like doing one of these things. And as you get closer, that's where you're going to start really fighting for that spot into your squat. If you're out here, it's going to be super easy. So find a happy medium where you're not like hitting the wall right when you start, but you're challenging yourself. And like if you have to stop here, that's your squat depth, and then you're coming back up. So let's give this a shot. That core to turn on to challenge it. When you come down, a lot of people end up doing this, which we don't want. We want them up. This position at the bottom is going to suck a lot. So you want to get super tight, take a deep breath, and then exhale, and just like the deadlift, like drive your hips and walk everything out. So do about 10 reps, see how it feels, and we'll walk around and make sure you're not just Yeah, I just heard that. Progression <laughs> from there, I'll actually go to a single arm front squat. So I would try that as well, if you guys are confident enough. One hand, same thing, other hand out to the side, and then we're squatting. Now this is gonna also work for a little bit more, because now you're fighting like lateral flexion. Because a lot of times the body's gonna want to aim to that side, so now you gotta drive to keep that core engaged. Not really good, like right. Closer. So it's just like that too, have it closer together. It was just like for shoot to here. When you come down and your hands are getting close to the knees, they end up doing this because they don't want to hit each other. If you get closer, now you have that space. And then you almost want to, so reach out for it. Come closer to the shins. I'm going a little bit closer with the hands. And I want you to work the bar like you want to break the thing. And I also want you to think of pushing your feet out. Right. And now it's going to turn on the hips. Super tight in here. Keep it tight, keep it tight. Hips a little bit lower. It's full, yeah, so squeeze tighter than drive up. And breathe. So, a lot better, but what's happening, to do uh, one more, just put it down. This happens a lot when people deadlift is, you know, they start off all good, they come up, it looks good, and then they start coming down, they're like, I don't want to hit my knees, and move the bar And now is exactly what was happening there, when people start moving the bar forward, they start feeling it a little bad. But now if you put the bar up here, it's going to be hamstrings and bums. So you always have to think of like, pulling it as much as possible, yeah. Again, this is a lot of practice. 
uh, line up and then back down. Another thing that I see a lot is people not pushing into the ground with their feet. You want to think of an old school leg press machine. You are pushing the floor away from you. You are not lifting with your upper body. A lot of times people, as they deadlift, they will extend with their lumbar spine first and then their hips, whereas this is purely all hip extension, not lumbar and then hip. It's a bad habit that a lot of people get through. So if you put all those together into a kind of a checklist, you're feeding to the ground, you're pushing out, you're squeezing the barbell, you're hiding your armpits, you're taking that big belly breath in, you're driving up and then walking out at the top, and then your single barbell deadlift is going to look perfect, and you're going to save yourself a lot of headache when it comes to a little back pain or any kind of other little aches and pains. So that is the barbell sumo deadlift. The elevated barbell deadlift. This is a great variation to your regular deadlift because for a lot of people, they might not have the prerequisites or the mobility to get all the way down to the floor. So by simply raising it up by either using uh, one plate, that's like a standard 45 pound plate, um, tends to help quite a bit. And if you have a lot of mobility restrictions and your low back always hurts when you deadlift, you can start stacking the 45s a little bit higher and it will help by shortening the distance of how far you need to go. So from there, we're gonna set up and like a, any other deadlift. So we're going to get nice and close towards the barbell to a point where our shins are almost touching. From there, we're gonna think of pushing our hips back into that hinge. We're gonna reach down with the hands, holding onto the barbell like we're trying to break it. So I want you to imagine holding the bar and breaking it in half, and I use the cue to hide your armpits. So a lot of times when people deadlift, they have the space in this uh, general region. So if you think of squeezing the barbell and bending it in half and then hiding your armpit, now you have a little bit more lat engagement and more of a, a better chance that as you go through your lift, you're not collapsing up top. And it kind of gives you just a little bit more insurance to protect the low back. So from there, we're squeezing, we're breaking the bar, we're hiding the armpit. We're gonna take one deep diaphragmic breath, fill the belly with air, hold, and then we're gonna drive up, lock out, and come right back to where we start. Deep breath in. As I'm doing this, the biggest mistake I see a lot is I'm initiating the movement through my hips. I'm not going into lumbar extension first and then hip extension. I'm keeping my torso solid and tight and utilizing my legs to drive through. Another thing you can think about to kind of safeguard that low back is as you're coming up, I'm driving my feet out to kind of engage those lateral stabilizers as I go through. As you put that all together, you'll have a good looking deadlift like so. So that is the elevated barbell deadlift.